We're back. Welcome once again to another episode of Mike, Mike, and Oscar. It's actually been a bit since we've updated the Oscars and awards season world with a new show, an Oscar race checkpoint, but that is what we have for you today. I am your co-host, Mike One. This is co-host also, Mike. Yeah, we've been, you know, we've been ripping off some film studies. We did The Green Knight with Amanda. We did uh, Suicide Squad, or The Suicide Squad. I better put the T-H-E there. <laughs> Very And much. then we, uh, we just tackled Annette which needs tackling. So I think <laughs> I think we'll have a couple movie reviews at the end of this episode, but they'll be quicker, respect in vivo. Uh, until then, Mike, we have some Hollywood sign-shaking news stories uh, I was, to cover up top here. I was talking with Amanda uh, uh, yesterday or the day before, and uh, we were supposed to do her podcast. We had to get moved. And I, I said to her, well, it's actually good because – We were going to record yesterday, but we actually had more work to do on the document because more news broke and we wanted to get our thoughts down and do a little more research. And Mm -hmm. I was like, well, like you, we're actually going to be blacklisted from every major studio after we record this episode. So this will be a good (laughs) thing. Uh, Very copacetic for both of us, I think. I think the goal is, yeah, before we break out, the blacklisted from every studio, every award show, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. if all the conglomerates are mad at us... uh, (laughs) Before we, that that's the goal. Correct. We're trying. We know to, we're doing something right. Yeah, denigrate ourselves in their eyes to hopefully propel ourselves in your eyes, dear listener. But yeah, we are going to be tackling some very serious uh, and heavy and a mishmash integrated mess of uh, news stories where one thing has to do with another. So let's get right into it, Michael. Yeah, Venom, Let There Be Carnage, has delayed its release date amid Delta variant COVID surges from September 17th, where it was last placed, to October 15th of this year, which, of course, we know is a wide-open release date, right, Mike? Where it's not filled by any other movie, uh, and we're going to be front and center for uh, Venom, Let Be Carnage, no matter what happens on October 15th. Isn't that correct? Venom kills right that's that's the title of that one uh all right so look i'm gonna try to to make some sense of of the venom release date it's gonna we're gonna touch on shang chi and what disney's doing with that in this same story but let's 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 take it one piece at a time so as far as venom goes the first venom was an october release right and we famously uh, ballyhoo and all this noise and celebration about how it was the biggest october opening of all time when movie theaters were still a thing back in like 2018 or 2017 whenever that was so there's fertile ground there in a regular year if such a thing even exists ever again for box offices Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. now the worry i said on twitter this feels like a movement where someone knows something behind the scenes. And I haven't yet decided if that's me being paranoid or if all my unanswered, unsolicited tweets threatening Jason Blum of Blumhouse to have Halloween Kills <laughs> stick to its already once-moved release date is actually a sign of things to come. Here's the thing. Does Halloween Kills have the shelf life where it has to be Halloween time? or Yes! <laughs> I, I would say Absolutely. It has to be, right? Yeah. So that's why this is so strange. 
because I almost feel like something's up. Yeah. And I don't understand why this is happening. I mean, a bunch of theories came through my head. Are they trying to sell Venom 2 at Sony? We know that they've sold some products, uh, especially to Netflix in mm-hmm. recent years. And maybe this, this is, you know, another uh, posturing by them to sell it. But then... You know, you look at how much demand there will be for Venom. There will be Carnage. And I, I wonder if they're going to kind of placehold for the moment. Mm. With so you it think this could be a move before else? they move it again? What does a month do for yeah. Venom? Like, what the, we've seen COVID move slow and steady, mm-hmm. Mike, for over a year now. We've, we haven't seen a month make a difference either way. We've seen, if anything, several months of gradual change enable box office recovery that led into what we had this past spring. But that that was a long time coming. When, whenever we've seen these knee-jerk mm-hmm. movements, they, they've just wind up being moved again. I mean, it's a flashback. Fair point. It's a fair point. So I don't understand this one at all. Definitely feels like something's in the water right now and where the counselors that are swimming in like Camp COVID Lake to turn a phrase there <laughs> that's a terrible lake <laughs> like oh venom to me makes more sense as a halloween time release uh mm. and it's already had success there like i said once previously but i can't help but feel sony was like sony's not blind to the success they've had right they released sure. Venom in October. It was the biggest October. Like, they're not blind to that fact. There was a reason they put it in September, and there's a reason they're putting it smack dab in the middle of October this late in the game, too. I can't help but feel like they were avoiding October originally because of the cluttered schedule, but they feel more comfortable putting it there now, knowing something is going to be announced as moving soon. So That's the, where are I... Are you thinking... Yeah, you're thinking that they're going to kind of bully Halloween out of there. Well, I, I I was terrified about moving Halloween up until this morning. I'm still not 100% sold on it, but, like, I finally, just today, this morning on the 13th, oddly enough, Friday the 13th as we record this, like, Jamie Lee Curtis's Instagram started touting, you know, we're officially two months away from Halloween Kills. Like, I, there had been no marketing about Halloween other than the trailers that I have seen. And, I mean, I... I spend my free time scouring the internet just looking for Michael Myers things to talk about and obsess over. So I I, I didn't see it. They weren't out there. So I, I'm feeling a little more secure about Halloween Kills, but I'm still like, this is, I like you, I feel like something's going on with this movement because one month, I agree, doesn't make sense. And it is so late in the game that it's like, what what is happening here? What's the real story? Why is this actually going on? We know yeah. Sony isn't vertically vertically integrated. They don't really have to worry about it, how anything's going to affect their streaming service right now. But there's other shifts and movements going on within the world of major studios that are vertically integrated. And they all seem to all at once agree with one another that they'd start back abiding by the 45-day theatrical window. I don't know if that's directly as a result of what's going on with COVID and the Delta variant. But that's the treatment that Disney went on the record in a conference call and saying they're definitely giving to Shang-Chi. Mm-hmm. Shang-Chi is going to be a theatrical exclusive for 45 days. Then it's going to come on to Disney+. Plus. They're not going to do the premiere access. We're going to speculate in the next story as to why the theatrical window may be a wise move for the likes of WB. But here's what I can tell you. I, I For 100% certainty with regards to why Disney is not doing this, 
it, it, they're not doing it because of any fallout from a ScarJo suit. I don't think this move, keeping Shang-Chi in theaters, has anything to do with any lawsuits from actors. Maybe mm-hmm. it could have to do as a, a, a reaction or, or a preliminary reaction to potential lawsuits from theaters and theater chains, but I don't think it has anything to do with the ScarJo suit or worrying about any actors turning around and suing them. Disney gets sued daily. And Shang-Chi, yeah. much like Mulan before them, is a group of lesser-known, though obviously no lesser immensely talented actors. But part of the reason ScarJo is such a big th- deal, is such a big lawsuit, it's because she's an Avenger. And she's also an actress with the stature of a Scarlett Johansson. She actually has leverage and resources to pull off such a suit by standing up to the House of Mouse and have it remain as headline news. So if Disney were to try to pull what they did to Scarlett Johansson to anyone in the Shang-Chi cast, it would obviously be no less unfair towards the actors themselves, but it probably also would be unfair the way in which the media handled it because they're not of the stature of Scarjo, and it would be unfair to the actors themselves because they don't have the resources and the leverage to keep up with a lawsuit uh, the way Scarjo potentially could here. So that's where we're at with the players involved as far as Shang-Chi and Disney and Halloween and Blumhouse and Venom and all of this is kind of merging into one big story for me. Right. And Bob Chapek just came out with a uh, quote this morning, uh, CEO of Disney, mm-hmm. where he's like, you know, we've negotiated hundreds of back end deal amendments right. right, based on, you know, wh- what they've been doing with moving the theatrically exclusive release dates to day and date, etc. So you mentioned a lot of... Uh, a lot of things that are joining into the fray mm-hmm. and I, and here's where i land unfortunately i didn't think of this when i wrote down this doc and i because okay. everything i wrote down to like 15 different theories that's what a it, lot of this doc is by the way we have like a 15 page document here and it's all mike and i reading tea leaves guessing and just getting more progressively upset at what's going on <laughs> however i it dawned on me like we've been banging the same drum now for months Movie theaters are in trouble, Correct. Is this, quite simply, the movie theaters impressing upon the film studios, impressing upon the conglomerates, that we cannot, we cannot function at 40% profit for much longer? I don't Hmm. care what's going on with our... Uh, with our solvability, what is that uh, term, financial term that AMC has propped up in terms of their investment capital, right? Mm-hmm. And their debt ceilings that they've been growing since the pandemic started by all their offerings on Wall Street, which I wonder if that caused it, but we're going to get into it. But bottom line, and I know I give a lot of bottom lines <laughs> here, I got to stop saying that phrase. Movie theaters need an exclusive window to survive we've seen it we've seen it work internationally during the pandemic where china has one 600 to 900 million dollar blockbuster after another in in varied covid laden times Right. right so if they're above water with their film going audience there's more hope that we could get there as well. Now, obviously, we have seen COVID crush the movie-going, cinema-going sure. audience appetite here in the United States. So that brings back the theory that I, I did write down here on Shang-Chi. What 
are the studios, the conglomerates thinking right now? Because we know they're making money that's comparable. It might not be as much as the old theatrical model or not. I don't know. But it's comparable to that model. We've done the math, the macro math, for the streaming services that are vertically integrated to these movie studios. Is this a hollow gesture from Disney? Do they know that the COVID covered box office of Shang-Chi is kind of doomed here and this is just one of those gestures saying all right it's a PR win for us if we if we stick to the date 45 days we'll put it on Disney Plus regardless Mm. and that window will make us the money that we're missing out on do they think the movie's not good and they're trying to bury it why are they doing this with uh, Shang-Chi all of a sudden during what seems to be a month that all the studios are worried about because all the studios are moving off of it, especially Paramount and Sony, who don't necessarily have the integration that they would want right now. We know Paramount Plus is there, but Paramount Plus is just not the go-to movie streaming service as of yet. Mm -hmm. I don't know that it's a PR win for Disney. I just think this could actually be the lesser of the two big PR losses by doing this Mm -hmm. route uh, with the Shang-Chi property because with major corporations obviously they always need to be aware of two courts right like there's traditional litigation in actual court like disney faces potentially with scarjo i again i really don't think this has anything to do with a a suit from talent maybe theaters or a theater suit is involved in that i don't know but there's all always the court of public opinion uh mm-hmm. which disney and all, every major corporation obviously cares deeply about and to me I think Disney might be in some sort of face-saving mode with Shang-Chi here because, you know, don't forget how they handled Mulan. Mulan was the blockbuster they moved to PVOD before Black Widow at the start of COVID and was another film primarily focused on Asian characters. And Mulan got crushed with its switch from all everything we gathered at the time. Uh, all the, you know, not that Disney released any numbers, which in and of itself might be evidence to prove that Mulan did not do what they thought it would do. Um, but nonetheless... Every All the info we gathered suggested Mulan was a bit of a disappointment. And I've seen complaints out there on Twitter of how leaving Shang-Chi, like you just mentioned, if you leave Shang-Chi as a theatrical exclusive, that's Disney choosing to let the film die because of where we are with COVID. And I agree, there's could be merit to that. But I'd argue also that after weeks now of getting beat up in the headlines over their handling of the Scarlett Johansson situation, the last thing Disney could afford to do in the court of public opinion would be to actively choose to disrupt Shang-Chi's release, put it on Disney+, Plus, have it do numbers unworthy of the same memo touting the company did in the trades for Black Widow's success on Disney+, Plus, and then have to deal with a round of headlines of how Disney chose to bury their last two Asian-focused blockbusters on top of it. So I think this could be Disney, within the walls of Disney, them just saying, we, we're screwed if we do and screwed if we don't, so let's just do nothing and not take the blame for trying to actively kill this film. That makes sense if we're talking about levels of earnings that are somewhat close together like if you project Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings to be a billion dollar film and 300 million of that needs to come domestically at the very least and that's that's being very conservative mm-hmm. let's say more, more than likely it's, it's 400 million they're not gonna care about 
like you said, the lawsuits, like, and they're not going to care about the PR to that extent. They would just push Shang Chi to next summer if they had to, if if it's a matter of of hundreds of millions of dollars. Now, a, do they think they're just making that overseas anyway, and they're not worried because when they put it on the forty five or, or put it on Disney Plus after the forty five day window, they can make it back because now they understand their mm-hmm. PVOD model better. Or is this is this a low cost experiment? In other words, because the box office projections for this weekend, Mike, Free Guy, Free Guy is a hundred and twenty five million dollar budgeted film that is projected to make twenty million dollars, and we've seen week after week where all of these hundred fifty dollar, hundred fifty million dollar tent poles, whether it's Jungle Cruise or whatnot or Black Widow, etc., you know. I mean, but not Black Widow, because that did very well. But Jungle Cruise had like a ceiling on it of 30, 40 million, however right. crowd pleasing it was. And it was. So I think that the Disney recognizes there's a ceiling now. So if we're messing with a film's release, you know, and we know we can break even on it, maybe it's worth this quote unquote experiment that you kept hearing, you know, quoted in the trades this morning with this Shang-Chi story, or last night, rather. And maybe there is this kind of come-to-Jesus moment amongst all the vertically integrated studios, which are the biggest studios in the industry anyway, where they all do realize, well, this is what the... PVOD is now going to be our back end. I mean, this and this is this bleeds right into our next story, with AMC Warner striking a, uh, a deal for a 45-day theatrical window for 2022. Now, Warner yeah. Brothers uh, is not going to do day and date release in 2022 at least for the next year they struck a deal with amc amc is going to have warner uh, titles exclusively for a 45 day theatrical window and if as we get into the reasoning of that pvod is going to come up more and more as something that uh is a back-end deal it's for the recurring customer the returning customer the repeat viewing customer more so than the first timer and Mm -hmm. Let's, I guess, dive right into that story, too, and let's talk about this. So AMC obviously was giving all new life with the stonks meme that started on Reddit and had real-world stock market implications and consequences during the pandemic. I don't know if that doesn't happen, if AMC has any leverage right now to bargain with the major studios with, but as is, they're sitting on a whole new influx of investor capital. It's helped them withstand the pandemic, and it's setting them up for the future to strike this deal. Mm -hmm. Yes. I think that's part of the negotiating power, but I do think, I do think it comes back to this, Mike. These pe- these people, and these are groups of people. They were partners and making billions of dollars every year uh, on this product. If one side communicated to the other and said, "We we can't function this way. It's just not going to work." Here's our numbers, and oh hey, we have CinemaCon where everybody is together and talking about this and talking before CinemaCon and talking out of CinemaCon and et cetera, where all the exhibitors are meeting with the distributors, et cetera, et cetera. And you got all these old cronies that have been doing business with each other for 50 plus years. If AMC is communicating to them, look, if you don't come back to us now, we won't have a chance. It's either now or never. I do wonder, I do wonder if, if that's what's happened, or I, I wonder if this is a, a win-win for the conglomerates and saying that, all right, we'll give you this last chance 
if, if things were work, that desperate, though, wouldn't studios renegotiate their cut? Yeah, we'll give you yeah. the theatric, we'll give you the exclusive back, but we got to take 60% instead of splitting everything 50-50. Because we're, take, we're keeping 100% of our revenue on PVO. See, I, I think, I, I think it's, it's maybe a little more simpler than that. I think, like always, corporations don't want money. They want all the money. And I think the HBOs, the Warners of the Worlds, have realized that they can get their $250 million from international subscribers. They have like 20 and a half million international subscribers. Last check that was done this month in August. At $12, let's say, that's almost a quarter billion dollars. Take that, but also we won't use our streaming service as a first run. We'll use our streaming service as a back end. As we know, if you take them at their word, I mean, Jim Wolfrich who's the president of Home Entertainment and Content Licensing at Warner, uh, said this during the Digital Entertainment Group Expo just last week about how they see physical media and retention media. They see PVOD yeah. and their streaming service as a back-end product more so. I mean, if you if you read between the lines, that's what they were saying. They don't see it as a... They, they see it as a means to speed up the intake process, but they still want the first view to be in theaters. At least, wow. and if you're taking them at their word, this is basically what they're saying. They want PVOD to go where you to to be the place where you go to return to a movie to see it again to watch it for a second time because they think there's a lot of money in back end viewing. This is the way the business has been run with windows and going from theaters to uh, physical media to. Uh, you know, uh, premium movie channels to networks. We've seen four or five windows for every single major release, you know, over the last 30 years. Only now and during COVID have the windows scrunched up and before COVID with Netflix, obviously. So this is something we've been covering for the longest time. And when one, when all of this started with PBOD, we wondered if they still had the earnings potential that they used to have. Right. Right? With with Trolls World Tour. Can you still make the right. billion dollars? Can you still make the billion dollars with the streaming service subscriptions per film in terms of and whatever the earnings are, whatever your cut of that is, cut it in half and then whatever. But can you still do that going directly to the consumer? I feel as though they're recognizing certain ceilings right now they have with to the be. streaming service. They have to be. I mean, that has to be part of it. They have to recognize, within the, the biggest studios, they have to recognize that day and date bites into their potential revenue for any new release. And they have to recognize that during the COVID area, these are bubbles, Mike. These are bubbles. Like, what aggravated me most about this uh, are these set of articles was that viewership is up, which is what we always said. Viewership is up for movie going and movie watching, uh, just in overall. And spending was up. And last year, we got so much less. And yet, we were spending so much more on so much less. And it was very frustrating because that is the consumer getting screwed. And this is this is an industry where sometimes journalists are microphones mouthpieces for these 
huge corporations mm. instead of on behalf of the consumers, on behalf of our listeners. This is why we get aggravated mm-hmm. with various types of film journalism, and we only ask a certain few people to come on that, that we know we can respect instead of just the film promotion wing. All of us want to promote films. We do. We love movies. That we're not, we're not doing this for the money ourselves. We're doing this for the love of right. the game, for the love of the movies. And even we, rec- we have to recognize, I should say, we have to recognize that if you're just in the film promotion gambit, you are potentially, if you're not looking out for consumers, you're potentially put it, setting them up to, to overspend their hard, hard-earned dollars. And here we had 2020, as, as maligned as it was, especially from MMO, with, with, I mean, I was irate yesterday when I saw that the not only the viewership was up, which I kind of figured because everybody's at home bored, right? Mm-hmm. And we said as much, but the spending was up. Yeah, consumer so spending that, raised about 5% if you go by the, uh, the Hollywood Reporter article. And step by pathological step, movie theaters were being bled. Mm-hmm. During this period. And we knew we saw it happening one step after another. So my question is now, with the 45-day windows, are we giving them enough rope to hang themselves? Or are we actually resubmitting product that will make them money? I think, and can they come together yeah. to make the windows happen again? I think there's two answers to that. Because I don't think AMC is theaters, if that makes sense. I don't think when we keep saying how much trouble theaters are in... I in my head, I and I said this a couple times throughout. I should have said it more, but I never considered the biggest major chains to be the ones that were in trouble. I always focused on more of the the smaller chains, the independent run theaters. But AMC is this unique unicorn uh, uh, within this theater studio negotiation because AMC has an international foothold. And you just talked about in the Shang Chi and the Sony story how important the international box office is. So when these studios talk about making all the money, which they won't ever directly, but this is my words now, when the studios talk about how they want uh, theaters to be the first run access, they need someone like AMC because AMC is the market leader, not only in the U S but also in Europe, they have, uh, theaters in 15 countries they, and they and they know what the, i mean they they not only are market leaders in the u.s and europe they are owned by or their managing partner and former majority shareholder is one of the richest businessmen ever in china like they have legitimate footholds in a lot of different ways in the biggest burgeoning film markets so amc mm-hmm. to me has always been separate so is this giving enough rope for amc to hang themselves i don't think so i think this is a legitimate business opportunity for amc i don't is it giving enough rope for theaters in general to hang themselves maybe i mean i I think that's absolutely a concern because not everyone i would argue probably nobody maybe regal cinemas but nobody really has the the grip on movie theater showcasing that amc does and when we talked about how there's the theatrical industry right now is ripe for some conglomerate to come along and just pick up all these random st- theaters. Well, that's what AMC's actually been doing lately. I mean, they've been buying up theaters that have gone by the wayside, that have fallen into bankruptcy, that other chains and other corporations yeah. have not been able to fund. Yeah. So I guess this is more of a macroeconomic uh, situation that we, we have to think about it in those terms. Because as you're saying... The strong are getting stronger. Mm-hmm. The weak will be will die and get consumed up. They'll get eaten up, yeah. And 
what has Disney always been in our circle of the world here and, and what we're covering? They've always been the strongest studio, the strongest conglomerate, the entertainment giant, the dominant force. Mm-hmm. So when they have a lawyer that comes out and talks some bullshit about Scarlett Johansson, they're willing <laughs> to do so because they're, they're strutting, right? Because they're trying to create more negotiation leverage, even if they, they're, you know, spiting themselves. And when they put out Shang-Chi, right? When they put out Shang-Chi in September here, which is going to be COVID infested, no matter what we mm-hmm. do, how, no matter how many people get vaccinated, there's no way that Shang-Chi is going to make what it could have made in September at this point in theaters on American soil or in Canada. So when they put it out there, are they just looking for the ability to posture uh, in terms of negotiations with movie theaters for a better cut or, or whatever? And, and they're willing to take a small hit for a first run because they know that the next few windows can make them money or at least the international box office will make them enough profit to, to move along. I don't know. But that's I, how, that's my cynical take. Well, no, I don't think it's cynical. I'm, tr- I'm just trying to, to, to focus. Like, the complexities of this issue are, and like we tried talking about the last time we talked about a, a new show having to do with theaters, like, it's so hard to focus on one aspect of any of this because it's so intertwined and there's so many variables. Right. Like we don't even really have a clear picture of what day and date does exactly necessarily because COVID is still a thing. And we don't necessarily have a picture of what post COVID times look like because we only had like a five week window where it wasn't the main story on the world news every night in America. So there's just, it's just such a complex issue, and the only thing we know for sure is what you started off your your paragraphs with there. The strong are getting stronger, and the weak are getting weaker. Yeah, and that, that's the unfortunate thing. The other, the other aspect of this is I do wonder if the streaming supply is finally caught up to the streaming demand, Michael. Because I do believe that Disney Plus now has... They have the product to, you know, to give to their 100 plus million subscribers. I think HBO Max and WB now have the product in the pipeline, even though we're worried about productions here and there, especially in the film industry. But in terms of the streaming service, look at their slate that's headed to HBO Max. I mean, when they started out. They bought South Park and Friends, and they spent hundreds of millions on all of this library instead of new product. When now we know new product, new exclusive streaming content with major IP associations is what brings in new subscribers. And I think that's even more indicative of how at least Warner's viewed HBO Max, viewed their vertical integration streaming, streaming network. I think... If you follow the money, because they were willing to shell out such major coin to get those, you know, legacy IPs, I think there's merit. That's evidence to prove that, okay, Warners does see HBO Max as a retention, a customer retention arm and not necessarily a customer exploitation arm. At least uh-huh. I mean, maybe maybe things changed in the interim, but I think that was their original intent. And that goes in line with what uh, that quote from Jim Withrich from the uh, the expo that I said, like, I, 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 it seems to me that Warner 
wants to open their stuff in theaters and then was going to rely on HBO Max to retain customers. Yeah. Bec- and, and in part, that's because they have the pipeline mm-hmm. that is now set up. Right. They have Bat- right. Batgirl and Blue Beetle and Harley Quinn and Aquaman and Green Lantern and Constantine shows and original movies and miniseries from DC. They have, you know, the Harry Potter, Dune, Game of Thrones, uh, Pretty Little Liars, uh, stuff heading to uh, HBO Max from mm-hmm. their IP library. They got, you know, film remakes of Father of the Bride, House Party, Evil Dead, and Rashomon, for Christ's sake. They're buying books, the rights to uh, these new adaptations, like the Final Girl Support Group, which is a new bestseller. They have uh, comedy specials from Tracy Morgan, Conan O'Brien in late August coming soon, Marlon Wayans, Chelsea Handler, Chris Red, Red, etc. And, Michael, everything I just mentioned is on their Wikipedia page headed exclusively to HBO Max. Never mind all the stuff that they got coming from HBO itself, yeah, which right. is still not exactly integrate. or we know everything on HBO goes to HBO Max, but I'm saying... Every HBO subscriber subscriber is not yet in the HBO Max stream uh, streaming family yet, even though we know a lot of their stuff got converted. But, by, you know, I almost said bottom line again. <laughs> I'll just make fun of myself for saying it. But we have the $3 billion worth of film budgets. We had that sell HBO Max, and now the content is caught up. Now the supply has caught up with the demand, so they can take the 2022 film slate, and hopefully, like you're saying, they can capitalize on a first-run window back in an exclusive movie theater format again. Uh, and they're they're trying to because they're, they're not. They're not worried about drawing more subscribers through their movies. They know they can draw more subscribers with their series and yeah they're they're thinking okay well let's get twelve dollars a customer but what if first they also spent money at the theaters and we got half of twenty dollars on top of their ticket too correct you know because they know those windows can work and they're seeing them still work in china obviously covid is the the great leveler as Mm -hmm. joe abercrombie says fine (laughs) i'm just reading another fantasy book by joe abercrombie they're great by the way go check them out we have COVID is the great leveler, and this is still forecasted out to, to later 2022. And I'm sure at the end of the day, if movie theaters are completely underperforming once again in September and October, you'll see everything move. You'll see everything move mm. back. If, if this continues, this could be August doldrums. We don't know. If this continues, you will see things move again. <laughs> Because they'll they'll want to take advantage of that first run forty five day window just when they can make the hundreds of million dollars. Keep Halloween kills there. <laughs> That's all I care about. <laughs> I, I care too, man. But I just you know, I I I think they're gonna move uh, if if it's not gonna make the it money. It makes sense. I'm, it really. I mean, it 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 does make sense, and it's just sad to think about that we're still here. But I at least. I'm heartened by the fact that I think we at least have a decent handle on how what's going on in the walls of Warner Brothers and Disney for that matter. I mean, I think we've had Disney pegged for a while, but I think now at least we have we can add what Warner's thinks of HBO and how they're going to utilize HBO and what they feel HBO Max is best for within their Mm -hmm. business. And that'll help us contextualize stories with them going forward. I'm rooting for it to work out and I'm I'm hopeful that. For the consumer, we'll all get our film 
and entertainment budgets under control because that's happening too mike that's going to happen naturally the streaming wars are ultimately going to come down to but covid's got to go away first doesn't it right if if ultimately after covid yeah after covid entertainment budgets are going to be re-examined and reallotted from the general consumer. I agree it's with that, but when the hell is COVID way? leaving? <laughs> yeah, that's the question. You know, we're I mean, a, like, I, I, we, we thought it would be, uh, have a decent handle on it by now. This is, we're this s- resurgence is kind of batty. We're still in the COVID Crystal Lake. Yeah. What would you rather be in, COVID Lake or Crystal, crystal Lake? <laughs> <laughs> At least I can make a friend in Jason. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Delta, de- there's no Delta variant, friend. Uh, just... <laughs> well, that was a nice, light-hearted, 35-minute discussion about uh, the end times for both studios and theaters. But we can talk about something a little happier now with award season news. No, absolutely not. We have uh, an HFPA story here, and uh, yeah, to start things off. And well, all right. Here's the thing, though. We're we're gonna withhold some judgment. Overall, and I just gave film journalism journalists the business here on the pod. Rightfully you so. and I have been, you know, we've been having a lot of conversations where we've been mm-hmm. upset mm-hmm. with how people are covering, especially the ScarJo situation, etc. Uh, and you know, we'll be honest with you folks, like we've had, we've been so enraged by some of these stories that we've we've actually listened to our parents and our nursery rhymes of our childhoods and. <laughs> When we can't say something nice, we haven't said something at all. We kind of we're happy to do the film studies up till now, but here's a part where we could dive back into this HFPA story and cover it from an angle where friends of the show, like Scott Feinberg of THR, uh, journalists that we can respect, like Kate Erbland of IndieWire, Michael Schneider of Variety, Dominic Patton of Deadline, they all weighed in last week yeah. on the new HFPA bylaws that were accepted by the Hollywood Foreign Press Association, who, of course, is in charge with the, of the Golden Globes. They have been covering this story and this organization for years, like true journalists, mm-hmm. and they have been breaking these stories about so many different angles of... And, and so many different wrongs and evils of the business and, and malpractice in the business. And they've done so courageously. Yeah. So I, I do want to shout them out yet again, especially Scott here at the top, who you're going to cite most of all. Yeah. And, and, you know, as far as why we are withholding judgment as well, it's we've said our piece numerous times on the HFPA. Right. Yeah. I mean, we you, you don't it's not a mystery on where MMO stands on the joke of the, what the golden globes have become in the last couple of years, especially. So this is, this represents these bylaws, these new changes, they represent a, a step forward. We hope they are meaningful, but it's one thing to put things on paper. And it's another thing to like enact them and change your entire culture of the way you've treated, especially minorities within your system uh, for the last, however many years. So we're just going to tell you what the changes are. We'll, certainly have more to say about the hfpa as we always do uh in the coming months and we see how these changes actually get integrated but yes most of this will come from scott's article Uh, about a week ago it was revealed that the hfpa gained the more than two-thirds vote they needed in order to adopt brand new bylaws chock full of sweeping changes for their membership Mm -hmm. let's get into it all right all right can i just say one thing first of all yes a lot of these bylaws have been litigated the hard way 
uh, from <laughs> yes. people suing the HFPA in the past. Yes. These have been sticking points. These have been things that people have spent. I mean, again, journalists don't have a lot of money. They've been sued and suing the HFPA for mm-hmm. and losing. Mm-hmm. So that's another reason why we're trying to hold back here and, and not just MF the, the HFPA yet. Because a lot of these things, Mike, you're, you're about to mention, the, you know, it's not just the PR firms that come in and twist this and, and, and force the HFPA to, to accommodate them. No, these are hard-fought victories that happened, you know, after the fact that, that, that all these people, you know, lost in court and... and you know, Scott covered this story six months ago of the latest one, right? Mm-hmm. That the Swedish journalist and this has been happening for decades. And yeah. Brendan Fraser's been ousted from the industry because of his dealings with the the HFP. I mean, this has been happening for decades, literally. And finally, some of these hard fought victories are here. So, like you said, it's it's on paper, but we should celebrate them while we can. Right. It's a it's a step forward. On paper, we are certainly not giving the HFPA the benefit of the doubt that something written down means something has changed. Uh, But anyway, here are some of the new changes. Uh, There will be a new 15-person board uh, to be voted in if it hasn't been already. That will be comprised of 12 HFPA members and three non-members, three journalists. Oversight. Oversight. Novel concept. There will be, and there is currently, I did check, a readily available application posted to the top of the HF, well, at least posted to the HFPA website, is currently atop the HFPA website, through which any applicant who meets membership criteria can then apply to join the HFPA. FPA. So that's a nice change of pace from how they were being so secretive and exclusive and picky about letting people in. They used to say you had to have a Fez hat on and you had to meet them <laughs> in a certain back room and then you could get the secret right. apple application. Exactly. Right. Uh, there will be a minimum of 20 new HFPA members in 2021, quote from Scott's article here, with a specific focus on recruiting black members and with Quote, a goal of increasing the membership by 50% over the next 18 months. You know, we've seen this work before uh, with with other bodies. So, again, we're going to be hopeful that new membership, even though it's long overdue, can infuse. Yeah, what was the number? I mean, power. it's not hard to, to go up from what was it, either zero or they, one black member that they had. I mean, yeah, they had 80 something white members. Ridiculous. A brand new structure to a new credentials committee to weigh the prospects of an applicant's potential membership. More oversight. Uh, There will also be a, quote, revision of membership eligibility and re-accreditation criteria, which will involve all current members uh, being having basically their resumes looked over to meet the standards and criteria of new incoming members, including an increased journalistic output prong that must be met for all members. So they have to be real journalists. They can't just be <laughs> retirees looking for a vacation. No, uh, it's serious. Yeah, and most damning of all to any jokes we've made uh, towards the HFPA in general and Brian May specifically, no more gifts hmm. for any HFPA members. Now, both NBC and The Globe show producers, I think it's Dick Clark's or uh, production company there, came out with positive things to say about the new bylaws, though as far as NBC goes, they stopped short of even coming near a mention of working in concert with the HFPA again at any point in the future. So take this all, like we've been saying, for what it's worth. And I do appreciate how Feinberg, etc., 
covered this when it came out because it is a very wait and see tone mm-hmm. for each one of their articles and there was even a timeline from Kate Erbland and IndieWire of <laughs> this is the litany of sins that the HFPA's committed Good. and they reposted that so again I, I I think this is a moment to be proud of film journalists that we do respect and uh, many of them are out there many more than the four we mentioned but I, I do want to say we are waiting and we are going to to see what happens and what comes of this we're not gonna you know just celebrate the fact that the Golden Globes get to happen again without context and no absolutely not again the HFPA has not they have run out of of benefit of the doubt in many people's eyes including MMOs here so yeah no question Mike yeah. we have the Gotham Awards breaking news last week with the fact that they're going to do away with gendered acting categories best actor and best actor are back best actress are no more and instead they will use gender neutral categories at this year's ceremony of the Gotham Awards on November 29th whose nominees will be uh, uh, announced on October 21st so what does that mean that means that the Gothams will now have an outstanding lead and outstanding supporting performer categories each with 10 nominees uh and they'll continue to have their breakthrough and ensemble categories as well yeah this is the type of article online where i just want to like make popcorn and scroll down to the comments section and just watch because that's really you want to see the height of intelligentsia that's where on a story like this is the comments section of is where you'll find that that's all sarcasm on my part so i'm not sure (laughs) to get serious about this i don't know if i'd classify this as a trend in awards shows necessarily but it's definitely a change that's popping up more and more i mean the berlin film festival the grammys the mtv movie awards these are all award shows of note that have done away with gender identifying award categories um Mm -hmm. as far as my take on it I, i i don't really care either way and i don't think that comes from a place of ignorance that comes from a place of me knowing that this change will have no impact or effect on my life whatsoever and all i care about is being the best ally i can be for the people that this does impact if people are feeling hurt and marginalized by the way things are now then i think there should be a change and I, I, if, if not, then don't be, and that's fine too. Whatever people who are affected by this feel is best is what I am in favor for personally. Right, because this is about more than just awarding millionaires on, on, on a red carpet. This is about representation. Sure, and I, I mean, to be truth be told, I see both sides of the argument, but again, I'm coming from a place where it doesn't affect me at all. So whatever the the... But I guess majority or whatever the the impacted people, there's a novel concept for America as well. Maybe the people who are impacted most should be listened to. But anyway, I'm I'm not going to get on my political high horse here. Uh, I, I'm I'm fine with whatever the change wants to be or should be or needs to be, and I'm in favor of it. My qualm, as far as like a logistical standpoint of running an award show, would be that if you're going to m- merge the categories and double the noms anyway now we're having 10 noms for outstanding lead and outstanding supporting performance why not like have two winners and then have the two winners go head to head in the award show and at the end of the night crown one wouldn't that just just from a logistical and a rating standpoint wouldn't that draw more eyes so from a practical sense what's the difference uh the, than what they used to do. So, where are, are you essentially saying we're going to have a lead actor? Are they going to pick? 
no, the just boy the and top a girl two. from Heat. Yeah, pick the top two. Whatever the finishers are, pick the top two and have them go head-to-head. Or do a drama comedy, too, and have those go head-to-head. I just want, like, American Idol-type voting where people have to watch the program. Okay, so I... I'm with you. We we fixed the uh, Oscars and, and long diatribe episodes mm-hmm. in the past with uh, reality show formats that we think would work better, and we've done this, <laughs> and we've loved this. And, and in the first year of our show, we talked about non-gendered mm-hmm. categories. We talked about this a, a lot, and uh, I think we were all in favor of it to a degree if it's done well enough. And that's that's what we're questioning now. Are they doing it the right way? Are they going to marginalize groups of people by doing it this way because those groups of people have been marginalized for so long to the point where these other categories have been refreshing yeah i mean they've been necessary for representation they built representation based on these i mean these categories have been progressive correct so with the gotham with the gothams here's what i would say you're you're your concerns are not necessarily valid because the Gothams have always had four categories and now they still have four categories. And if anything, they're bumping up the number of nominees, which they are. They've gone from four categories where five or six nominees can happen Mm -hmm. to the point where they're actually going to have two categories with 10 nominees and then the other two categories with five or six nominees. So, the Gothams don't necessarily have. Wait, what the are the other two issues. categories? Breakthrough and ensemble are not changed. Breakthrough is you know, non gendered okay. going okay. in. Gotcha. Ensemble is going to be there. They still have their few tributes. So they have not had supporting categories at right. the Gothams over the last however many years, Michael. So actor and actress now just becomes lead and supporting. With any other award show, just about. They would have to go genre, you know, based categories in order to keep the same number of Mm -hmm. quote unquote categories and nominees, I would say, or they would have to structure it differently. And I think they should structure it differently. We, we, We think this can happen and should happen in other ways because these categories are getting stale to an extent. The question becomes, how do you avoid the marginalization? You have to read the industry. You have to. Yeah, you can't. Absolutely. You can't allow this to go sideways. We've seen one change after another from the from the Academy in particular. Yeah, and how do you do that though? Is by bringing in the the affected voices and listening to them and right. taking you know. Right. I mean, that's there's there. That, I agree with you. There is a right way to do this. Be, yeah, because it's backfired. Let's just say. Yeah, sure. Sure. <laughs> in in recent propositions that we've seen be made and never mind how it's backfired politically just Mm -hmm. in the grander scope and beyond well beyond award shows we've seen changes completely backfire so that's what everybody's worried about i would say to an extent and i'm sure they're worried about a lot of other things that we we're not even seeing because we're just two white schmoes of course course. here uh, that haven't been haven't been uh persecuted the way others have so this is something that we're going to follow uh, like we always have. And I I do wonder if uh, the Oscars will take plays out of the Emmys playbook or like the the Golden Globes with their uh, Critics' Choice, with their uh, genre categories down the line because that that could be the way this moves. All right, so we got the Gothams, HFPA, Disney, Sony, Warners. Let's see if we can get ourselves kicked out of the New York Film Festival next, (laughs) Mike. Uh, Some film festival news as we uh, 
keep going along this light and lighthearted <laughs> episode here. The New York Film Festival announced its full slate. Uh, we have 18 titles who came from Cannes, including Cannes Award winners Memoria, The Worst Person in the World, and Titan will be playing New York, plus a few of their buzzier titles as well, like Benedetta, Bergman Island, I think I've heard that mentioned once or twice here before, and The Velvet Underground as alongside Vortex, and The Souvenir Part 2 all will be showing at New York. So, Michael, we were saying how much we wanted to go to Cannes, right? <laughs> now we can just go to New York and go to Cannes. I, I was surprised, on the one hand, that we didn't get a, a, a ton of new titles. Like, like TIFF has a... I mean, they just have so many titles, so it's ba- they're bound to be new, right? So the, you got a Riz Ahmed movie, you got the Benedict Cumberbatch movie movies, and yeah, one of his films is going to New York. We know with the power of the dog. Mm-hmm. We know the French Dispatch, Tragedy of Macbeth. Uh, we've been covering Pedro Almodovar's Parallel Mothers. They're in the marquee spots at New York anyway. So when this slate came out, I was really surprised that it was such a huge Cannes Film Festival crossover. It's always the, the case with New York, but this was. Just this was uh, overwhelming this year. So yeah. on the one hand, I don't care. I got my pass. I'm going to X amount of screenings. I'm happy to. I'm going to see these canned movies that we missed. I'm a little worried, though, because this is such a marquee spot, and we're worried about the fall Yep. just movie release calendar in general. <laughs> yep. Why didn't we get more new blood, necessarily? Instead, we got a lot of... You know, I don't want to say retreads because we haven't seen them yet. We're excited. I'm excited to see these movies. I really am. I, I put my money where my mouth is on this, but I am a little concerned. So, there, if that concern gets us kicked out of New York Film Festival, then <laughs> we have succeeded yet again. Well, in this I mean, every red flag we've kind of marked or, or something that's piqued our, our notice for prediction purposes, whether on mic or off mic. You know, I mean, that Venom trailer, when we talked about it, we talked about how the trailer itself said, oh, it's coming only in theaters. There's no release date. What does that mean? I mean well, that means that they're going to move it. You know, like, and that's what happens. We talked about the opening story of this show. Like, there's right. there's stuff in the water here, people. There's, you know, not to Alex Jones this or put our tinfoil hats on, but we're, and, we're and pretty And right now they're not even virtual, by the way. Yeah. Mike, they took away the virtual component of New York Film Festival. That's so a mistake. We, I don't if we like want to go, yeah. we gotta go. We gotta get on the train yeah. and go. I don't. I, I think. I, I feel like film festival should be. I think. I feel like the virtual component should be here to stay, and it's an easy way for them to make money too. But anyway, all right. Yeah. Uh, Tiff, you spoke about it. Also, can't seem to stop adding a bunch of cool screenings. They now officially added to their lineup screenings for Dune's IMAX world premiere. Mm-hmm. Kristen Stewart and Spencer, Oscar for Hardy's A Hero and Tilda Swinton in Memoria will all be playing TIFF. AFI also joined uh, announcing part of their film festival lineup. They announced its opening night film Tick, Tick, Boom, that from Lin-Manuel Miranda, uh, starring some slob actor. I don't know. <laughs> Andrew Garfield, we previewed the trailer. It's fine. <laughs> Your mortal enemy. But, okay, so we talked about the non-virtual film festival with New York. We talked about the TIFF, which is doing a hybrid in Canada, but that's only local uh, that, that people can, can see it. We can't attend TIFF. We didn't apply for press uh, accreditation there. How and... can the MLB and the NBA have antiquated regional blackout right. rules that go back to the right. 50s, but TIFF can't? Like, just open up, do your online, open it up to people who aren't in and around the Toronto area, if you want. Won't that just guarantee yeah. you more revenue that you wouldn't otherwise see? 
Again, I wonder what the distributors are talking I'm sure, about yeah, here. I'm sure I think, it's a I, licensing I, issue. I, I, I agree. Ann Thompson was talking about distributors making the moves here yeah. with this on the latest screen talk. So I, I do think that movie theaters are having a say here, and maybe they don't want the num- the streaming numbers to eat into their box offices at the end of the day, and that's that's what's happening. And so the film festivals more than a movie ticket price. They always do, but right. what's the cut? Again, so... you, we we don't know the negotiation. On Just the back-end give deals. me the things I want when I want them. I don't understand how this is hard for people. <laughs> no, they took it away. They took it away this year. At least the big festivals did. Now, I had a great experience virtually at Tribeca. I had a great experience at AFI Docs. And AFI is going to continue the virtual hybrid component. The question becomes, what is the offering at the end of the day? That's probably a $300 price tag for for the consumer, you know, we'll have to review the offering when we get it. We know we got Tick, Tick, Boom. It's opening night gala, but will it, will that even be available to people, you know, the regular right. consumer? We don't know. That is November 10th through the 14th. This is a month later for AFI this year than last year. Last year, they're in the middle of October, even with the weird schedule. So, Mike, I'm going to keep track of AFI. I'm going to keep track of the Woodstock Film Fest, which is going to be uh, a virtual hybrid festival end of September, September 29th through October 3rd. So that is at the beginning of the New York Fe- Film Festival as well. And then there's the Mill Valley and Heartland Film Festivals that will both have hybrid uh, presentations October 7th through the 17th. So one's in California, one's in Tennessee. Doesn't matter. They're both do- going virtual anyway. So I'm curious to know what those slates will be, what they can be, and... We'll, we'll, you know, we'll keep our consumers, our listeners uh, informed. So if they do want to have some kind of virtual experience, maybe they still can. Otherwise, we're waiting on Middleburg and London. And like I said, these other festivals kind of fill things in. Are you going to set uh, fire to a porter potty while the Woodstock Festival is going on just in effigy? <laughs> I'm not going to. Well, that's not a long trip. That, what is what is that a drive? That is a three hour, four, yeah, three and a half three, hour yeah, drive? Probably three, four hours. Yeah, it's probably doable. Huh. I, I I don't know. I, I don't think I'm going to go there, but they have like you can buy an early bird special right now, 150 bucks. It's going to be at least 40 films. I'm kind of waiting on the lineup though. So that's a maybe you know? to you setting fire to a porter, John, just to celebrate just, Woodstock. I think uh, I think you're trapped at a certain year <laughs> on the on a certain era <laughs> of the timeline here again, and a recent documentary on HBO Max reminded you of such that. Uh, you know, you have to mention that here. <laughs> Let's move on to some trailers here, some possibly contender trailers. Uh, we had our first look at a journal for Jordan, Michael. Yeah, Denzel Washington directs what will be an exclusive theatrical Christmas Day release from Sony Pictures Classics. Something that the unmistakable voice of Denzel Washington tells us at the end of this trailer until that point, though, Michael, we are going to get hung up on many details for a journal for Jordan here. LeBron is not LeBron James' studio. That is wild to me. I only learned that like a couple months ago. I always just this assumed. This is my fault. This is my fault because I had to learn this a couple years ago. I just never brought you in on it. Yeah. I, sh- I should have made a joke or something. It's, it's my a fault. Canadian film studio. So is that Andrew Wiggins' studio? There's a That's a joke for 2014 NBA draft junkies right. only. I will not take the blame for that joke, though, because you sh- if you said R.J. Barrett, I would have. Yeah, but Wiggins was the on. Canadian LeBron when he was in high school. That was that's the joke, not the not taking a dump on your Knicks for once. 
<laughs> I'm still mad at you for that joke. It's a ter- <laughs> terrible joke. What else you got? Mike? Uh, I have Michael B. Jordan's pec implants because he looks like the most jacked human being. Ever. Like he's, he either has pec implants or he actually can bench like 750 pounds. <laughs> those are huge pecs. They're giant <laughs> so pecs. Big. I mean, it's 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 you know your eyes those. Like, just so ra- I'm sorry. I, I know I'm objectifying the man, but they're just the most round, puffy pecs I've ever seen. I was also taken aback by how clean shaven his face is in most of this mm. trailer. To, to, to all, you know, we've, we've never seen him without at least the stash. It's true. Right? I mean, maybe once or twice, yeah. but I mean, he was just baby faced in this. This was, I guess, they must have flashed back <laughs> 10 years when they were. Mike, this trailer. Not good. No. And that's why I'm being a little ridiculous about it. Like, I'm not... This kind of gave off the vibe of a Hallmark Channel holiday movie to me. Or, like, something like that. Yeah, I was not impressed. Like, it sounds like you were not impressed. I almost thought, like, Adam Driver and Marion Cotillard should be singing in this trailer. (laughs) Like, it was too idyllic and over... It was melodramatic and over the top. Like, the perfect husband is so perfect that here's his perfect bare chest and his perfect bare face. And by the way, here's the twist. He's also a perfect father who writes a journal for his baby while he's being the perfect soldier. And, oh my God, I'm going to cry despite all of these perfect tropes played perfectly in this trailer, aren't I? Yeah. I feel like this would do better in the hands of, like, David Lynch. (laughs) Well... Can we talk about the hands though for a second? Because we're saying all of these things, and we've made similar, we've made similar warnings, or wor- we've had similar worries. I'd say about other filmmakers like uh, the Card Counter. Mm-hmm. Who's who's that? Schrader. Uh, Schrader. We've had similar worries about Chloe Zhao's Awkward Eternals first look trailer. So this is Denzel Washington, and he he deserves the benefit of the doubt. Sure. I would say Antoine Fisher and the Great Debaters. They were a little you know over the top but they were good movies fences is is an awesome movie that got academy love that we were rooting for to win back in the Mm -hmm. day viola davis anyway this has a marquee oscars release date at at christmas which again in this march oscar year is going to matter i think i think the late break breakers have have it made again it's got a marquee box office release date we would think and we just saw sony play it perfectly with the late breaker the father last year so uh, you know again I, I i could panic over this trailer i'm not at that stage quite yet what if it's 10 minutes of plot and then 80 minutes of michael b jordan's chest exercises <laughs> just fly day <laughs> act two is fly day act act three is uh, you know bench day and then he works in the push-ups in between <laughs> it's, yeah. it's just it sets the record for most women and meathead lifting bros to go see a movie ever but t- tell me this trailer wasn't cheese this was just cheese for two and a half minutes it was two minutes in that do you mean it was cheesy is that what you're saying yeah now? yeah absolutely this was absolutely it was weird. cheddar very weird i agree Tears of cheddar. Yeah, uh, nobody knows that joke. I know, except you and me. <laughs> that's a deep cut from before Mike, Mike, and Oscar. That's just Mike and Mike jokes about our younger brothers. Tears of cheddar. Oh my god, uh, nobody cares. But go forward. Cry, cry, cry macho also was released, and I mean, we got, we got to somebody's got to get eyes on Clint Eastwood. He sound. I know he's old, but he sounds terrible in this. 
he is 91 years old and he's starring in and directing a major motion picture. He is the boss of a crew of hundreds, maybe thousands of people, Michael, at 91 years old. And he's still doing great. Like that, that's a great opening insight. I've always thought of you as a small, weak, gutless man, but there's no reason to be rude. He's still delivering funniness and humor while within these serious and maybe melodramatic type plots as well. It's an excellent tell-off. Yeah. However, the setup for that tell-off, poor Dwight Yoakam. <laughs> Dwight Yoakam has been a great character actor for, actor for decades. Logan Lucky, uh, Panic Room, Wedding Crashers, Crank. I mean, his early 2000s were awesome, mm-hmm. which is your sweet spot. But even the last 10 years, and that's after the 90s where he was you know, doubling as a country music star and a character yeah. actor. So Diane Weist got stuck in the exposition dumper role in The Mule. Mm-hmm. And here, Dwight Yoakam is literally committing every <laughs> screenwriting cardinal sin with exposition here. He is recounting Clint Clint's character's entire backstory and then their character's entire shared relationship as quick, efficient prologue <laughs> to his asking his employee, his sending his 91-year-old employee on the adventure of a lifetime, of course, a dangerous cross-country road trip to save children and apparently roosters, Michael. Because of course he is. Like, this is Clint Eastwood Mad Libs is what this trailer and I assume movie is. It's Clint plays an adjective veteran noun who has lingering doubts from a big midlife trauma when he adverb, verb, adjective, noun, which resulted in his losing his noun. So he becomes the greatest senior citizen superhero ever when he verbs a younger boy slash girl who seems different from himself, but he'll soon realize they have more in common than he could have ever imagined something something tough men can cry to. Like, that's every Clint Eastwood movie. I was skeptical reading that joke. I didn't get it. Now I get it. Now, actually, it's spoken word. It's it's beautiful. So, uh, bravo. Thank that you. Is, uh, but the, I would is... have no desire to see this if Clint Eastwood wasn't in it. We love seeing him in this yes. story. You did the Mad Libs because it's his last five-star yes. roles. <laughs> Cry Macho, The Mule, Trouble with the Curve, Grand Torino, even though it was a a staycation, Mm -hmm. Uh, and Million Dollar Baby. He is the mentor hero, and we give him our money every time at the box office because every every one of these films feels like a passing of the torch from one age of Hollywood to the the next, and Clint Eastwood just... He, he's showcasing young talent, and here he's got an entire ensemble of Mexican actors uh, uh, in- included in this film and a starring role for Eduardo Manette. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm, I'm just, I'm in for this movie despite the flaws that I know I'm getting. Of course. And I'm even more in when there are cock jokes about roosters that involve the movie's <laughs> title, Mike. <laughs> Superman 4, A Quest for Peace. Yeah, Uh, I'm with you. I'm I'm in, and it's strictly because of Clint and his career, and I'm a hypocrite is what it all comes down to at the end, I guess. Uh, We can wrap up here with two recent releases. Mike's going to make the case for or against them both. Let's start with the Jennifer Hudson Oscar vehicle of respect, Michael. Okay, so if you're an Aretha Franklin fan, if you're a Jennifer Hudson fan, if you're a fan of great music in a movie theater and that Uh, audio just surrounding you and immersing you, you get 25 songs where Jennifer Hudson is belting it out, all her glory, well, that makes it sound like she's naked, no, in all the glory of the songs, it's, it's great, it's great, and there are applause moments, and there are musical goods delivered, 
I genuinely marvel at the the filmmaking style and what we get in terms of the performances on the screen. However, I was going to say this sounds like there's a huge butt coming. <laughs> this is as cliched a musical biopic as we've ever gotten, Mike, and this is like the genre that has haunted our podcast yeah. all these years. Like we the the movies we tend to have the most problems with. Yeah. In the late summer, early fall, every single year, whether it's, I mean, I mean, we can list them: Bo- Bohemian Rhapsody and Rocket Man and Judy, mm-hmm. and just every year after year. I mean, last year it got moved the United States versus Billie Holiday. It got moved to, to later in the season. But for Christ's sake, the biopic genre, the musical biopic genre in particular, the yada yada, so much exposition, so much <laughs> conflict by giving us these one-dimensional characters, and they are ruining this genre because we have too much, too much at stake with giving us the music that we cannot characterize anybody in in these you know legends lives that make sense and that go beyond a tribute so it's Hmm. just cruel snarling bad influences or angelic patrons and matrons and friends and (laughs) no character has any dimension in this beyond the protagonist really and it's just it's it's very frustrating and then even with the protagonist mike i could have done this whole review in dewey cox quotes (laughs) and that would have been the most disrespectful thing in the world. Get the hell out of here, Dewey. You don't want I genuinely enjoyed my movie watching experience, but it also completely wore me down. Respect as a two, two hours and 20 minute film wore me down because I knew exactly what was coming and when it was coming. You could probably recite this plot from start <laughs> to finish if you had just like her greatest hits album in front of your face right now, Michael, because. And then maybe, and that's fine. Like we could enjoy that movie, mm-hmm. but uh, as an Oscars vehicle, as a as high art, this comes short. And I, I'm On dismayed because I'm dismayed. Well, I'm dismayed because Jennifer Hudson's performance is there. It's just so segmented, Michael. There's literally a strung out montage, and it's it mirrors ex- almost exactly, except. It, it, <laughs> It mirrors the Dewey Cox scenes. <laughs> you can't get and Dewey Cox off your mind while watching yeah, it. Yeah, I can't. Yeah. I can't at all. I mean, to to a T, this is the same movie. And it's unfortunate because because her life, I mean, the triumph and tragedy and the abuse she went through, I, again, I you know, that's why we can't get to the parody because it is so serious and her estate is behind this, but it, it doesn't do her justice, unfortunately. So and that, that's my biggest complaint. I think with a movie like this, and we talked about it in our 100% accurate uh, Oscars previews the day after the Academy Awards or the week after the Academy Awards for the last two years now, I think with a movie like this, the the expectation is if it has Oscars legs, it would probably just be for Jennifer Hudson. You think it does? It just assassinates those chances? I think every character other than her assassinates themselves. And th- but this is not an Oscars. Fi- this should not be an Oscars worthy film, unfortunately. That's sad. To hear. Uh, and that's what's sad about yeah. it. And and her performance, like I I feel like her, I feel like the directors leave her out to dry, and and they they basically they don't blend her performance correctly. Like she's got like this first twenty minutes she's showing this range, and then next twenty minutes is this period, mm. and then. 
you know, the end, this is her Oscar reel uh, for, it's just almost, I mean, it's so stereotypical for the genre. I mean, obviously her, her real life, she suffered so much, so, so much of this truth that they didn't, they didn't do her story justice because they conformed it to the tropes of the genre. This Darn makes it. me sad to hear because I've been doing a lot of gloating on Twitter about how right we've been with this being an Oscars vehicle for Jennifer Hudson, but to... I to to hear that that's not there. it, I I have to I have some apologies or some tweets I have to erase to pretend I never made. No, that's the thing. We we predicted this <laughs> yeah. movie for two years because we thought it was coming out last year. Yeah, and now I I I would be I would be surprised if uh, Jennifer Hudson could get there now, and it's very unfortunate. Does the news get any better for Vivo, which you also watched? Well, here's the thing about Vivo. I am a hypocrite. That's the <laughs> thing about Vivo. Because it's be a I had for both of us in this episode. Well, I had just ruthless uh, complaints about Luca, right? Mm-hmm. For world building, storytelling issues mm-hmm. <laughs> of a cartoon. <laughs> and here, the, the world building and the, 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 let's just say, the world in which they are functioning in has no rules. Like, this monkey is Stewie, and then it's not Stewie. <laughs> like, everybody recognized that recognize that this monkey is the greatest musician in, on the planet but then they treat him like a monkey and but then they but then they're also singing along with the monkey like this is irresistible music one song after the next but i i just get angry at how it doesn't blend it together correctly in a in a in a story that makes any sense like there are pixar and disney hallmarks to this story that are really emotional but then there's just nonsense <laughs> for the rest of it so <laughs> the final song by gloria estefan could contend should contend as best original song but it's just it's just in this silly nonsense movie and it's just unfortunate because lin-manuel miranda's got great catchy tunes in, in vivo and if you're i guess I guess if you're not going to get hung up on the silliness, uh, or if, if, if your kids may love it. This is the most don't. unsure I think I've ever heard you sound about any review. It's adorable bullshit. <laughs> Vivo. Put that on the poster. It's adorable musical bullshit. If you can do that and enjoy that much, then yeah, the 86 on Rotten Tomatoes. Shame on you all. The 71 <laughs> reviews, the 65 meta, meta score. The, you, they will like the movie Vivo. So I have to ask you the impossible question now since you've reviewed both these movies, which is if you could only watch one and your two options are Vivo or Respect, I know they're wildly different and why would anyone have this as a decision in front of them? But if you could only watch one, what are you watching? Neither. I'm watching clips. <laughs> I'm watching clips. I enjoy clips of both movies. They don't work as cohesive stories. Neither of them do, unfortunately, and it's a shame. <laughs> there you go. Watch nothing and get banned and blacklisted from every major studio while you're at it. The MMO way. <laughs> Amazon and Netflix both mad at us in this episode. Yes. <laughs> That's where we will put a bow on this episode. Uh, we tried to end it a little hi- happier and lighter than we started, and... 
went nope. through the middle. You of, gave but, me the hammer spot. Nope. <laughs> no, no, just wasn't wasn't meant to be. But Sony's mad at us. <laughs> when you when you're looking around the landscape of Hollywood and you have a new show to do, sometimes that's just what's going to happen. What's going to be? But uh, we don't do this for the studio's benefit. Uh, we do this much more for you, dear listener. Uh, uh, you are who we who we care about most, and obviously we also what we care about most is hearing from you. What are your thoughts on any of these stories or these trailers or these film festivals coming up? You can leave us those as well as any other thoughts, comments, questions, or concerns you have about anything we do here in the MMO Empire on our social medias. We are at Mike, Mike, and Oscar on Facebook and Instagram at MM and Oscar on Twitter. We are Mike, Mike, and Oscar at gmail.com.com and on Reddit. We are available everywhere you hear podcasts. If you happen to be listening to us on the Apple Podcast app, if you would be so kind as to leave us a five-star review, if you appreciate what we're doing here, we would appreciate you doing that for us as well. It would truly make our day. Michael, uh, what is coming next and what are some words of wisdom if there's any to be found in this entire episode oh god um <laughs> r-e-s-p-e-c-t words of wisdom it's still a great song it's still yeah she's she's right about every word of all it. this news and the words of wisdom are respect by aretha franklin is a good song <laughs> yes that's all i got very fitting uh we're gonna review Coda, we think, which I I know I like. Again, I have no idea what you'll think of it. I hope, I hope, I like I hope you it. like I it. I don't know anything at this point. I think we're gonna review that next, and uh, we'll have another news show probably. And we're starting to once again, perhaps, maybe branch out and do some collabs with other guests. Uh, we like to all the all our. You know, podcaster friends, like, we're jerks, Mike. We just, we, we've been flying by the seat of our ske- uh, pants with schedule. Correct. And it's just been one of those things where, like, I mean, you've been kind of recouping because you had a nightmare a um, couple of months Life. there, a couple of years. <laughs> yeah, yeah, a couple of years. No, but you, we, we just couldn't really do many yeah. collabs. Like, we did last minute collabs here and there. And, and so we're going to try and get back out there again and we're going to try to get people back in here again and uh, that's going to start maybe so I'm, I'm going to you know knock on wood record a collaboration with uh, Andrew Morgan of the Nomcast this weekend and we're going to talk Netflix Netflix Oscars slate so um, hopefully I don't bring um, you know shame on him on his own pod <laughs> a lot of Adam McKay talk in your future I feel like Adam McKay, but yeah, yeah. It's a, hopefully he doesn't listen to this and, and then immediately cancel because I just crushed the beautiful little monkey's Oscar chances at the end of this episode. But no, I know he he didn't love that movie either. Unfortunately, crushing it's just unfortunate. The crushing the monkey is a it's either a good band name or a good episode title. I haven't decided which yet. But uh, yeah, <laughs> guys, when reality or some movies or the industry you cover on a multiple times weekly basis sucks. Uh, you can come hang out with us. We are Mike, Mike, and Oscar trying to make award season year-round without the stuffiness. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you very soon. See you.